Good evening and welcome to Tucker Carlson. Tonight, Queen Elizabeth II died today in Scotland, as you likely know, at the age of 96. She was the longest serving monarch in British history. She was born in one world and died in another. It's not easy to maintain your dignity while living in the public eye. Most of us could not pull it off for an afternoon. Queen Elizabeth did it for more than 70 years. I want to ask you all, she wrote shortly before her coronation in 1953, whatever your religion may be, to pray for me on that day, to pray that God may give me wisdom and strength to carry out the solemn promises I shall be making and that I may faithfully serve him and you all the days of my life. For the most part, she did just that. And that was not a small achievement given the period she lived in. The week that Elizabeth was coronated, Edmund Hillary, a British subject from New Zealand, a beekeeper, became the first man in history to summit Mount Everest. The achievement seemed symbolic at the time, Britain on top of the world. But in fact, Britain was already over, whether the British knew it or not. To this day, Britain claims to have won both of the 20th century's world wars, but together they destroyed that nation forever. After victory came humiliation. The empire evaporated, and along with it, Britain's self-confidence and ultimately its self-respect. It's hard to believe now, but Britain wasn't always a regional banking center slash refugee camp. It was a real place with a history and a language and a culture and a genuinely remarkable people. A country in the North Atlantic the size of Alabama that somehow took over the world and ruled it with decency unmatched by any empire in human history. The British Empire was not perfect, but it was far more humane than any other ever. It's gone now, barely even remembered. Queen Elizabeth II was the last living link to a truly great Britain. Today on social media, the usual ghouls celebrated her death. Quote, may her pain be excruciating, a Carnegie Mellon professor called Uju Anya wrote on Twitter of the Queen. May she die in agony. Various know-nothings in the media, including a columnist at The Atlantic and a couple of employees of NBC News, seconded that thought. The British Empire was evil, they wrote, apparently totally unaware of what came after it. And speaking of what did come after the British Empire, how, for example, did Africa fare after the British left? Let's see. Uganda got Idi Amin, who was a cannibal. Rhodesia became Zimbabwe and then became the poorest country on the planet under the racist lunatic Robert Mugabe. As of tonight, South Africa is still being run into the ground by an incompetent kleptocrat called Cyril Ramaphosa. So it's hard to see any of that as an improvement because it's not an improvement. Sorry, Atlantic Magazine. And now, of course, the entire continent of Africa has a new master, the Chinese government. China is the latest colonial power to dominate Africa. Its subjects will be pining for the British soon, assuming they are not already. In an ideal world, there would not be empires, no empires, only sovereign nations. But we don't have that world, and we never have had that world, going back to at least the Assyrians 1,400 years before Christ. In the real world, the one that we live in, Strong countries dominate weak countries, and that trend shows no sign of changing. The very least you can say about the English is that they took their colonial responsibilities seriously. They didn't just take things, they added. When the U.S. government withdrew from Afghanistan after 20 years, we left behind airstrips, shipping containers, and guns. When the British pulled out of India, they left behind an entire civilization, a language, a legal system, schools, churches, and public buildings, all of which are still in use today. Here's the train station the English built in Bombay, for example. There's nothing like that in Washington, D.C. right now, much less in Kabul or Baghdad. Today, India is far more powerful than the U.K., the nation that once ruled it. And yet, after 75 years of independence, has that country produced a single building as beautiful as the Bombay train station that the British colonialists built? 
No, sadly, it has not. Not one. So despite what they may be claiming on Twitter tonight, the British Empire was more than just genocide. In fact, the British did not commit genocide, except arguably against the Dutch during the Boer War. The British did give the world the Magna Carta and habeas corpus and free speech. They helped end the transatlantic slave trade, as well as the ritual murder of widows in India. The British Empire spread Protestant Christianity to the entire world. It published some of the greatest literature ever written and produced the finest manufactured goods ever made anywhere at any time, including now. It was an impressive place run by impressive people. We will see many empires going forward, but we will never see one so benign. That's true. And because it's true, the people who would like to run the world in a far harsher way would like to make certain that you don't know it. And so they destroy the evidence, the evidence that ever existed. Here they are tearing down a statue of a British philanthropist in the UK two years ago. Destroy the statue, erase the memory. That's why they're doing it. Slander the ruler, discredit the entire period she lived in. And that's exactly why they're attacking Queen Elizabeth tonight. Not because she was a bad person, she wasn't a bad person, but because she lived during a better time. Subscribe to the Fox News YouTube channel to catch our nightly opens, stories that are changing the world and changing your life. From Tucker Carlson tonight. Uh, with me right now is uh, one of the most successful men in American media. He is uh, Tucker Carlson. Tucker Carlson has a daily show, so he's got to go to work almost every day at 8 o'clock. He's also got Tucker Carlson today. He's also got his documentary series he's going to be talking about shortly. And, Tucker, I was not able to watch your show live, but I watched the replay on Fox Nation. Brilliant approach to a story that everybody's doing. You talked about put the U.K. in perspective in history. Uh, and you saw your great writing skills on display. Why was that a, your approach? When did you get that idea to approach this story, the death of the queen, this way? Well, because it's, you know, marking uh, the end of something bigger than just one human life. It's the end of England. I mean, you know, we're the same age, about, and when we were kids, it was known as England. Remember sure. that? It yeah. wasn't the UK or Great Britain or it was England. It was a country. It was a place with a people and a language and a, and a history, and that's gone. It was destroyed by two world wars, both of which England, quote, won, but the empire was over and then the country was over. The country lost self-confidence and then decided to degrade itself, which it has been doing ever since, and lost its manufacturing base, became a banking center and essentially a refugee camp for the rest of the world for its former colonies, et cetera, et cetera. And no one sort of ever pauses to, to notice like this, this was a world power. This country can, you know, was the largest empire in human history. It controlled the world. The, the English struck fear into the hearts of, you know, the entire globe. And now it's this kind of decayed museum. And that happened in one lifetime. Like, how did that happen? It was very fast. That's no, no empire has ever fallen quicker or more ignominiously. I mean, London right. wasn't, you know, sacked by the Germans, but. It was something even more kind of insidious and sad happened where the people who run the country just lost confidence in themselves and 
and and became pathetic and self-hating. And I don't know. I just think someone should point that out because maybe there are lessons for us in that. Because, you know, I, I remember that. Uh, I remember that when that statue came down, they said, well, this guy, you know, he was a philanthropist, but he showed tinge of a uh, uh, racist in his background, which was he's pretty much a person of his time. So let's take down a statue and throw it in the canal, much like we're doing here with Robert E. Lee. That what they're trying to do with Thomas Jefferson, the University of Virginia. Go with out Abraham people's Lincoln. history with Abraham Lincoln taking him off grammar Abraham schools. Abraham Lincoln, who freed the slaves. I mean, <laughs> what? I mean, and of course, England ended the transatlantic slave trade. They ended the ritual murder of widows in India. England was, you know, an empire and did bad things, but compared to what? Compared to any other empire in history, this was, you know, the most benign empire ever. But 10x, I mean, nothing compares to it, actually. And no one says that. And you have to ask, why do they not say that? Why are they intent on convincing us that the British Empire was evil? and, and, of course, the answer is because they're all in on the Chinese empire, right? So by, by denying you knowledge of the past, they make it possible to sell you something even worse in the future. So that's interesting. So you believe China's uh, economic dominance is making these leaders subservient and even educators subservient to the Chinese doctrine. Rip apart our foundation. No longer feel as though you're moored to anything and be open to this new change. And that's of what we're course. seeing. Uh, and that's what we're seeing across the world. Well, that's that's what I mean. Look, history is the key to the future. Obviously, you have to know what happened. I mean, this is true in, in every sphere. I mean, the reason our planes don't crash is because the NTSB studies, you know, previous plane crashes. Right. We keep close track of what happened in order to chart our future. And so the second people begin to deny you knowledge of the past or lie about the past, distort the past. You have to ask, why are they doing that? And they're doing that in order to control your future. Look, we always – stronger countries dominate weak countries, period. That's just the fact of nature. Yep. That, that will never change. So you will always have empires. We always have had empires going back to the beginning of recorded history to the Assyrians. In 1400 B.C., we've always had empires globally, and we always will. And so the question is, what kind of empire do you want? What's the ideology? Is it a Christian empire, or is it a totalitarian empire? The, the British had a Christian empire. Again, with flaws, you know, I'm personally not even for empires, but I don't get to decide human nature. Right. You know, and so the, the people who are telling us the British Empire was evil are the ones who are standing back and allowing China to colonize Africa on a much larger scale than the British ever attempted. I mean, the Chinese have more control over Africa right now than the British had in 1880. You know, the, the Chinese control Africa. No one ever says that. China's a colonial power. And it's an atheist, totalitarian colonial power that's a much harsher master than, than the British ever were. And, that, yeah. I, you know, no one says that because people instinctively suck up to the most powerful player. That, that's another feature, unattractive feature of human nature. But it's true. So, Tucker, they not only control Africa, they're making huge moves in Central and South America. And yes, that's why that's it's right. so uh, important. You went out and interviewed President Bolsonaro. Uh, he's basically the... The linchpin. If they could get him out, China will take over that country, too. Bolsonaro was pushed back against China. 
and, and Central and South America. We just basically gave up. We're not even looking at it. We don't even meet with them about stopping the legal immigrants from pouring in. So we have no interest for some reason in the Middle East, no interest in any of this. We have no interest in Central and South America. And we basically decide to go all electric and ga- uh, go green. And the rare earth is all controlled by China. And the Congo is the place where... Uh, where they have even more rare earth they do in China, and China is now in control of the Congo. So it's amazing. It seems as though either we're asleep at the switch or intentionally there. Here's the other thing I'd add. When China takes over a country and has their influence, they do this Belt and Road program. The Belt and Road program is a form of extortion. Hey, I'm going to go build an infrastructure you can't afford. Then when you can't make the payments, we will take it. We will take your ports. We'll take what we just built. And we'll have used that influence in your government. Solomon Island's another example. Would they have stopped us from bringing our ships to port at the Solomon Islands because we allowed China to get in there and have their influence and take it over? We cannot sit on our hands as a country if we are serious in, in, in not giving up the world. When we won the Solomon Islands with the blood of American Marines and sailors from the Japanese in the Second World War through a series of incredibly brutal battles. So we had control of the Solomon Islands, I would say, with full justification, we, we, we earned it, and we handed it over to China. And, but by the way, this is how empires always behave when they collapse. This is how the British behaved when they collapsed. They handed Africa over to the worst people. I mean, yeah. the British government handed Rhodesia to a racist lunatic called Robert Mugabe. They sided with him over the people of Rhodesia, which became later Zimbabwe. So we're doing the same thing. Our empire is in retreat. It's in decline. And we're handing it, affirmatively handing it, knowingly handing it to the Chinese. And I, I think it's, um, it's a function of self-hatred. We no longer believe in ourselves. I mean, I did that script on the decline of Great Britain last night because I think it has lessons for the decline for us here in the I United know. States and in our decline. It's so sad. But, but it all starts with self-confidence. The Brits began to believe that they were they were had no moral justification. They started to hate themselves. And self-hatred is like a cancer, and it kills you in the end. Right. And we're allowing it to spread in this country. So we got that international relations thing we got to handle. I also think with the right leaders, we could bring it all the way back because we have the fundamentals still in place, the natural resources, the history, the innovation, the smarts. The educational system just needs to be tapped into the pushed into the right direction. But I love the series that you have coming out because you just don't look at this whole push towards pronouns and uh, uh, this transgender thing and say, this is wrong, this is crazy, where did this come from? You actually examine where it does come from. You point out different things in your series uh, that traumatic events happen in people's lives and suddenly they realize they have an identity crisis, maybe a gender crisis. Here's the clip that you sent over to give people at home an idea of your series that's now out, your latest documentary that's now out on Fox Nation. Let's listen. There's a growing movement designed to confuse children about who they are on a fundamental level. This is the cult of transgenderism. The transgender phenomenon is not a small-scale operation that's not led by a single man. Instead, it's led by the most influential power centers in the country, our own government, big corporations, the medical institutions, and, of course, the mass media. So, so you break it, you, you, you sum it up, and then you break it down. What did you discover in being that you were so hands-on on this series in particular? Well, a couple of things. I mean, if you take three steps back, what's going on here? If you wanted to destroy a country, you would convince its young people that 
biological sex wasn't real, and you would confuse them about their own, quote, gender identity. I mean, the gender binary, the difference between men and women is the basis of civilization. Everything from our personal lives to our government, to our military, everything is based on those differences. Biological differences are the core of everything. Because biology is the core of everything, because reality is the core of everything. So if you wanted to throw a society into confusion and make it collapse, you would sow confusion around gender. And that's exactly what they're doing. And then, So that's the big picture. Uh, on the personal level, it's destroying kids. So we are allowing children to be sexually mutilated, castrated, subject to mastectomies, sterilized for life. And sort of standing back and not saying anything because the rest of us, particularly those of us in the media, are so completely cowed, so intimidated by the screaming and the violence of right. the activists who are pushing this that we don't want to say anything. And so we're like, well, no, it's gender-affirming. And even news organizations that should know better describe it as gender-affirming care. Castration is not gender-affirming. <laughs> it's an atrocity. And when it's committed against children, it's a crime. It's a moral crime, and it should be a legal crime, and the people who do it should be in prison. In my opinion, doctors who castrate kids should be in jail. And nobody says that for some reason. And the reason is because they're completely intimidated. And every HR department in the country is backing up these atrocities. And, and my point is, you know, this is insane. Let's wake up from the fever dream and see the damage that we're doing to children. You think the, uh, the people are going to watch this documentary and um, understand more what is happening before it's too late? Because that nine-year-old that walks into your kitchen and says, you know, I, I feel like I want to be the other gender. You have to arm the parents to understand what's happening and understand, too, someone briefed them already. We never talked about any of these things. I remember eighth grade health is the first time we talked about anything to do with sexuality. And that was on a test. It wasn't we weren't winging it or riffing. How do they get into the schools? How do they get the teachers to convince to do this? Well, by um, outlawing any conversation about it. Anyone, I mean, Marjorie Taylor Greene brought this up and immediately her house was swatted, which is to say people tried to kill her. They called the police and said there was an armed gunman inside her house. So the SWAT team showed up at her house like three times with guns drawn. And the point of that is to get Marjorie Taylor Greene killed. So that's how serious the people pushing this are. That's how ruthless they are, radical and violent they are. And it just scares the crap out of everybody. And nobody, people think, well, I just don't want to, you know, I'm against this. This is crazy, but I don't want to deal with it. Maybe it'll pass. You know, maybe if I just shut up, it'll just go away. And parents are told, you know, whoa, are you a hater? Are you transphobic? <laughs> what? You know, and, right. and, Lost in all of the, I mean, and I'm just talking about, you know, the physical effects of this, but the societal effects are even more damaging. The entire country is being forced to lie and to say that you can change your sex by wishing it. So right. you can't. That's impossible. You can't change your race, your height, your hair color. This is nuts. And so all of us are now complicit in this lie. We're forced to tell it, and we're degraded. We've lost our moral power. Once they can force you to lie, they can make you do anything. And so we're their slaves, like at that point. And this is really a big deal. I don't know why, you know, no one is saying it out loud. I guess because they're afraid. I, I know. And, and we're one of the few places that you could actually have real conversations. I, I know you're not in the New York, uh, New York or uh, D.C. necessarily. But you could have these. This, we're, we're still in somewhat of a we're in a normal business environment. 
most other people are on pins and needles and don't want to come back to work because they're afraid of getting into some type of trouble, saying something that's going to get offended, getting that call from human resources. It's a, it's a very challenging time right now as we go back to the workplace. The few people that have the courage to go back uh, as we look at another 9-11. So, uh, Tucker, overall, you just completed another summer. You're about to maybe switch locations again. Are, is your lifestyle doable between the documentaries, the series, the nightly show, the specials you're doing? Is everything okay in Tucker world? Yeah, everything's great. I mean, everything's great. I mean, I have four dogs and um, the same wife I've always had, <laughs> who I still who I still like. So yeah, um, yeah. I mean, there's a lot going on though. I mean, as you know, and yeah. I always think. You know, at some point I'll get fired or killed or I'll just die like everyone else does in the end. And, you know, you should, <laughs> while you have a chance to work, you should, you yeah. should work. That makes it. I know you feel, I know you feel that way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we have a window of opportunity now. So uh, let's do it. Let's yeah. have some fun. Uh, yeah, Amen. I tell you, your show is a must watch every night, even uh, the times in which we don't agree, which means you're wrong. Uh, I just always find it fascinating, <laughs> and I can always tell you're writing in conversation. It's just great. Uh, Tuck, congratulations on everything. Everyone, download this documentary. Uh, it is really important to get a perspective on what's happening to your generation or the next generation, the current generation, whether you're grandparents or parents. Uh, you need your eyes open. Tucker, thanks so much. You're the best. Thank you, Brian. We're giving you nothing but the best, the best of Mark Levin. What bothers me is not just that the Biden administration and the Marxists that populate his massive bureaucracy and his regime do these things, like sabotage our own energy industry, but then they lie about it. They blame the very businesses they sabotage. Or they blame a pretty much universally despised genocidal leader. They don't take responsibility for what they're doing. So unlike you who listen to this program, a lot of Americans don't pay attention to these things. They're upset about the price of fuel. They're not sure why. Why these prices are going up or brownouts and blackouts in part of the country, particularly California. And so they hear over and over again the Marxist surrogates and mouthpieces in the media and elsewhere repeating the government lies, the Biden regime's lies. If people understood it's the policies put in place unilaterally, no legislation, by the radical extreme leftists who populate this regime that they are preventing drilling, they're preventing refining, they're preventing transporting, and then in the end they're trying to affect the marketplace through the states, a well-coordinated effort by blue states to destroy our, our automobile industry and to destroy our energy industry, and replace it with hope and imagination, and an incapacity to provide you with the energy that you'll need for your daily lives. It's a problem. It's a problem not just 
in what happens, but it's a problem in the propaganda and the demagoguery, because a lot of people aren't clear why this is taking place. Must be the profiteers. But the so-called profiteers don't want it this way. Must be big oil, but big oil doesn't want it this way. It's big oil that makes the requests for leases and then permitting for drilling. Well, who else provides us with oil and natural gas? The tooth fairy? If we had to rely on the government for energy, we're going to die. We're going to freeze to death in the winter. Just like Europe. If we have to rely on the government for food, we're going to starve to get. Just like baby formula. They don't even know how to make sure there's enough tampons on the shelves. We're going to rely on the government? Exactly who in the government are we relying on? Who is it? Which department? Which cabinet secretary? Which among the 2.5 million bureaucrats is going to provide you with your needs? Which among them is trained to provide you with your needs? Which one knows how to drill a well? Which one knows how to refine? Which one knows how to do any of these things? All they know how to do is to move the dominoes on the table. The checkers. On the, on the checkerboard. That's all they know how to do. And to advance their ideology and put fines and penalties in place and regulations and rules in place to demand that you comply with their ideology. Well, guess what happens? Poverty. Among other things. So what's happening? Europe is just a few years ahead of us. California is just a few years ahead of us. By ahead, I don't mean forward. I mean ahead in terms of regressive. Regressive. People aren't leaving their homes to go to California anymore. They're leaving their homes in California to get out. People speak with their feet. It's called mobility. That's why we have federalism, to the extent we even have it today. And that's why the Democrats reject it, not just for abortion, but for taxes and voting and everything else. They wish to impose on this nation, on every corner of this country, regardless of who you are, where you're from, what you do, they wish to impose on you the ideology of Manhattan, New York City, of Los Angeles, California, and the other urban centers in the country where there's one-party rule and as a result, disaster. Disaster. New York made a comeback under Republican governors, excuse me, under Republican mayors. Republican mayors. L.A. made a comeback under Republican mayors. Republican mayors. I'm just making a point. The Democrat Party is not driven by helping people. It's driven by expanding its power. Expanding its power. 
making people think they're going to help them by redistributing wealth. From people who vote against them to people who vote for them. Pretty much what they do, isn't it? They take care of their base. And they try and grow the base. 87,000 new IRS agents. How much you want to bet 95% of them are going to be Democrats? And donate to Democrats, and you'll be paying for all of it. Paying for your own demise. Why am I throwing a wet blanket on? On events of the day. Because, ladies and gentlemen, it does us no good to pretend otherwise. I could be here and be a Pollyanna. I could be a Pollyanna on the radio. I could be a Pollyanna on my Fox show. I could be a Pollyanna on on Blaze. I could write books with a sun on the front and a smiley face. Or I can continue to alert you that there's cause for alarm. There's cause for alarm, a lot of alarm. The Democrat Party is all in on the degrowth movement. I want you to remember what I keep calling this. Climate change, Green New Deal, it's the degrowth movement. Why do you think the number of leases are shrinking? Degrowth. Why do you think Europe is going to be without... The necessary energy this winter. Degrowth. It's not about clean air and clean water. It's about throwing prosperous, advanced, industrialized societies backwards. Because Marx rejected and abhorred capitalist-based industrialization. That's the truth. That's the agenda. Show me any pro-growth policies that the Democrats have proposed. Since Biden's taken over, I can go back much further. Where are their pro-growth policies? What exactly are they? While we're funding this, I didn't ask you what you're funding. Where are the pro-growth policies? For the private sector, not the government. Pro-growth. So our industries can grow. So our small businesses can grow. So we grow more entrepreneurs. So we can expand growth. Where are they? There aren't any. Despite the government's best efforts to cripple one industry after another, to control and regulate one industry after another in order to empower itself, Despite its best efforts, there are still individual human beings in this country, most of you, who pursue success, who pursue opportunity, who try to create wealth and prosperity, despite all the obstacles. And but for us, this country would have sunk a long time ago. But for us. It's not the takers. It's not the people on the dole. It's not the bureaucrats, it's not the politicians who make this country work, it's you. It's those of you who don't have your face in the public trough. It's those of you who don't claim victimhood every time you fail. It's those of you who work hard every single day and follow the rules. You're the ones that make this country work. 
Not the people who, who seek to control you and steal your power. I hope I'm not boring anybody. I'm just trying to explain what's going on here. Dennis Prager here. Thanks for listening to the Daily Dennis Prager Podcast. To hear the entire three hours of my radio show, commercial-free, every single day, become a member of PragerTopia. You'll also get access to 15 years' worth of archives, as well as the daily show prep. Subscribe at PragerTopia.com. Well, hello, everybody. Dennis Prager with you. Hi, everybody. Dennis Prager here. I have two terrific guests. These people uh, I adore. Before I introduce them, just a new news item. Queen Elizabeth just died. And uh, look, when a person dies at 96, the exact age my dad died, you certainly say they they led a full life. But uh, I have my sadness is not that I feel she died prematurely. She obviously didn't. My sadness is that a great woman died. The dignity that this woman had every day of her reign is uh, something I think I will miss. I'm not sanguine about her son. Sanguine is a fancy word for optimistic. Anyway, may she rest in peace. She, she bore the crown of England with great dignity. So I don't know how long I know Anne McElhaney and Fila McAleer. I think a hundred years. <laughs> I think it was the last king of England, wasn't it? Yeah, that's right, <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. Remember, yes. We were at the funeral. We met at the funeral. I, I actually, I got to know you because of your fracking film. That's right. That yeah. Which is still magnificent. People, what is the name of it? Frack Nation. Frack Nation. All of you should see that. Oh, God. It's so, it's so brilliant. Oh, thank you. And Everything you guys do, and then of course your your the movie that actually, which is not common for me, brought tears to my eyes, which you saw because I saw it in your at your place, and that was what's his name, the doctor in, in Philadelphia, Gosnell, and now they have a brand new movie out. It's called My Son Hunter. I watched it last night. My wife and I were riveted. The dogs were riveted. <laughs> I, I, I couldn't believe it. They had never watched the movie. Till <laughs> you guys really know how to make movies. I, I tell you, and, and the so I, I said to you was tongue in cheek, and and Phelan said to me, "Yes, it's absurdist." What was the next word? Absurdist comedy. Absur- absurdist comedy. A perfect terminology. Because the only way to handle the Hunter Biden thing is. It, it, is absurdist. Yeah. So it's an, it's so you will learn an immense amount in an extremely entertaining way. That is the best way I could put it, and that's why I'm having the two of you on. So you made it's fascinating. You made the movie in Eastern Europe. Yes. Why did you do that? COVID, well, COVID was part of it, right? COVID, yeah, COVID but, was part of the reason. But I suppose for for someone to tell Hunter Biden's story, you need. Lots of strip bars and beautiful women, and Eastern Europe has plenty of those. Um, Good reason, yep. We, Hunter Biden did a lot of his dodgy dealings in the Ukraine, uh, so we needed an East European feel to the place, and you, ca- you do catch that in the movie, I think. Um, also, we didn't want to hire a venue 
uh, in Oklahoma, in a city in Oklahoma or in a city in L.A., and arrive and turn out to be a protest, or the owner has cancelled, or the city has cancelled the permit. So there'd be less political interference, we felt, on a micro and a macro level. We'd be able to do our thing in this closed environment, we thought. And then Hunter Biden's lawyer infiltrated the set, posing as a documentary filmmaker. Is that right? Yes. Oh, yeah, he flew in a private jet. And, and he's, he is a documentary filmmaker <coughs> and said, I'm making a documentary. He was on the set for three days, interviewed everyone, filmed constantly. It only emerged now that he's actually Hunter Biden's lawyer and was there collecting information for his Kevin kids. Morris. Kevin Morris. Hello, Kevin. He lives yeah, here in, uh, he up lives in Malibu. Malibu. Yes, up the road. Yeah, he what, why posed, did he show up? He wanted to spy on us. He wanted yes. to find out what we were up to. Um, he where, posed we, as, where, where our sources were. He posed as, um, as a documentary filmmaker. He has a good story. He was the lawyer for the South Park guys. Kept mentioning that, dropping the South Park guys. Obviously, the South Park guys are kind of our kind of guys. They're libertarians. So we're like, okay, we believe that. Turns out, this is not at all what he was doing. Not not at all what he was doing. He's gathering information. He was, for but he plan. flew in on a private jet, by the way. I mean, what people need to, you know, and it's it's actually quite an interesting uh, addition to the movie in a way because we're making a movie about a very very corrupt family, and you start to get a sense of, you know, here's a guy obviously Hunter Biden who has a lot of drug and you know addiction issues, and as Irish people, we exported alcoholism around the world, so we can't be talking too much about addiction. <laughs> However, you know. When he gets into trouble, most alcoholics or drug addicts, when they get into trouble, you know, they end up on Skid Row. <clears throat> this guy ends up with 30 lawyers, headed up by this guy who flew in in a private jet. Yes. Nice. Nice quite, to be a Biden. It's not quite the intervention, you know. Most people, you get an intervention, you, you say, you've messed your life up, you need to go and work in a, in a vo volunteer in a homeless shelter or something. No, this guy, his lawyer flies on a private jet to, to try and... En enable more corruption, enable more, uh, more bad behaviour. This is... Anyway, you know, that's the drama behind the drama. All right, so hold on. What did you say, Sean? Okay, so I want to remind everybody, we're obviously continuing in a moment. My son, Hunter, it's really all you ever wanted to know about Hunter Biden, the laptop, etc., but done in an extreme... It's, it, it's, as you point out, it's factual, but it's a story. Yeah. Yeah, but you learn facts, my friends, and it's scary. It's up at DennisPrager.com or just go to MySonHunter.com. Either way, as I said, we watched it last night. Hi, everybody. The producers and makers of this brand new film, The Side Crashed, I just learned. There were so many people watching it. Was it yesterday? That yes, it was. Yes. Wow, great. I, and we watched it last night, my wife and I. My Son Hunter. And you sort of, your mouth is sort of open the whole time. When you learn, when you learn, I mean, I had to keep reminding myself that despite the fact that this is a movie, it's true. I mean, when you would speak about, well, I got the following millions from here and millions from here, this, this is all based on, on, on what happened. Yeah, yeah. Were you, were you surprised I mean, I don't believe you knew all this before the movie. Totally, totally. I mean, Brian Godawa wrote this movie, uh, uh, and when he put in the script, I made him asterisk all, and there's a separate file where everything that he t writes about is backed up by documentation, right? Because oh. we knew they'd come after us we for facts, and was like, right. ah, well, here we go. This and, is and, 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 and by the way, the stuff that most people don't know that he got in his research will just pass people by, but there's every, almost every line is a zinger. Because it's true, 
you know. And uh, you know, and I suppose this is one of the reasons maybe Breitbart, who are distributing it, this is their first movie. This maybe this is why they got involved because it's true, right? So it, it goes into their mission, it goes into Andrew Breitbart's mission of of getting the culture and influencing politics and telling the truth. And Andrew was a great believer in truth. So Breitbart, you know, they came in, they're they're pushing this out, they're distributing it, and uh, you know, it, it yeah, no. It, it's, it's I mean, he got three million from the mayor of Moscow's wife, and he doesn't really know why he got it for consulting, as, as we put, you know. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> uh, I remember that. In a rather racy uh, way. That, but that was Robert Davy. Robert Davy, he's, he's amazing. He's the director. He just, he took our rather journalistic script, right, or, you know, factual script, you know, but entertaining. He just la- jumped it up a couple of levels every time. All the, all the good stuff. Off the top of your head... Just name a few of the sources and how much money was involved with with Hunter Biden. I don't think almost nobody knows this. Well, for example, one of the things that I think is extraordinary, so $83,000 a month from Burisma, the energy company in Ukraine, $83,000 a month for five years. And I make the point about that. And here's a guy in his book, during that same period, in his book he says he smoked crack cocaine every 20 minutes. He said that. In his book, he said that. And you know, lots of your listeners, by the way, are on the board of different companies or whatever, or they're running a company, and you know, they've, they've employed people who are addicts. Of course they have. Many times. It's happened to people. It happens. You don't keep them going for five years. You don't give them $83,000. And the reason you don't is because they don't bring anything to the table. This guy brought something to the table. And he wasn't bringing his intellect to the table. Because or, or, his his knowledge, or his knowledge of energy or Eastern Europe. Yeah, exactly. I mean, Right, so that's 83000 a month from Burisma. What else? $3.5 million from the mayor of Moscow's wife. He was part of a $1.2 billion uh, private equity fund in China, partially owned by the Chinese government. Uh, he was in he had a meeting with one of the Chinese, and they just gave him and his him and his bro- and his uncle. Uh, here, you take that hundred thousand dollars on a credit card for a bit of spending. You know, but I mean, Dennis, that happens to you the whole time. You know, we all have that happening to us the whole time. You know, you meet somebody and they say, "Look, there's a wee bit of spending money for you now." Hundred thousand. And then the other thing that they gave him, the Chinese, was they gave him a diamond worth over eighty thousand dollars. But sure, doesn't that happen to you? Three point six carats, I think. Every time he goes anywhere, this fellow, Dennis, he's constantly. So the wife is always complaining. The diamonds are all over the place. They're always throwing diamonds at her. Isn't that right? Exactly. So this is. Uh, everybody understands it's done because of who who his father was, the yes. vice president of the United States. Yes. And then the father claimed he never talked about any of this with his son, which you you feature that in the yes. film as yes. well. Yeah. Well, there are emails where, and, and, and text messages where he is talking about it. And there's also emails where Hunter says, cut ten, the big guy in for 10% or my chairman in for 50% of this deal. And Tony Bobulinski, who's, who's his partner, has said now that the big guy was their code name for right, exactly. President Biden. So, you know, I, I think, I don't know, some famous philosopher said, comedy is tragedy plus time. You know, and this is an American tragedy in some ways. What, what Hunter Biden was allowed, got up to, and what the media suppressed—the story the media suppressed—is an actual American tragedy. In the run-up to election, the people who brought down Nixon uh, expended all their energy for the October to, to, to destroy the October surprise in Hunter Biden. It's an American tragedy, right. and a little time has passed now, so it's an American absurdist comedy. 
It has to be, and it, you know, I think one of, I think in some ways, this is this movie is also about the media. I mean, I think that's a very big. That part was, of that. was just what I was going to get to. And it's kind of, um, I mean, you know, you would obviously have the better, a much better understanding of American history, but I think it is unprecedented. I think it is the first time in American history that something like this has happened, where a story of this import was suppressed at such, in such a coordinated way. By the way, I mean, the New York Post did a great job. They threw this story out there, amazing story. And there was a coordinated effort uh, between big tech and big media to suppress it and to continue to suppress it. And what's funny, and you see, obviously, Dennis has seen the movie, and we, we obviously document that very well in the movie. And it is, it's, it's amazing to watch it. In the credits, we have, you know, the, the dis, you know, Russian disinformation. This is Russian disinformation. It was like, you know, you talk about they were issuing these, you know, talking points, obviously, to these people every day. And everyone said the exact same thing, Russian disinformation. And then a year later, it's like, oh, you know, actually, it was true. it's true. Dug into the 15th paragraph on some story that they had. That's right. That's exactly right. The, the, the silence of the press on this issue. And now, as you pointed out, I think, was it at the very end, 15 months later, the New York Times yep. acknowledged it, yeah. right? It's, yeah. You have it's a, a postscript yes, in yeah, your in the, film. The, yeah. yeah, and... and it's, you know, I didn't want. It's important to have that at the end, so people they're watching this absurdist comedy, they're laughing, they're learning a little, and then they're seeing, my God, it's we, all true. It's all true, and we have some That's scenes right. of Joe Biden speaking about China being a great country, and then we show at the end, this, this is actually based on an actual speech he gave, and how he. Then the other thing of how he brought down the Ukrainian prosecutor, yes, right, and, and was real. proud of it. Yes, yeah. boasted. Yes. yes. Uh, I mean, all right, I want the people to go to your film. It's my son Hunter. You can, it's the link is through DennisPrager.com or just go straight to mysonhunter.com and uh, it'll blow your mind. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yep. The Dennis Prager Show. All right, everybody. Dennis Prager here. Okay. And let's see, do we have my guest on? Yes, Nick Eberstadt, one of the important thinkers of our time, has a a very important, short and to the point book, Men Without Work. And uh, let's see, so this, the Men Without Work, so the, it says with a new introduction by Nicholas Eberstadt. So Nicholas, first of all, Nicholas Eberstadt, welcome to the Dennis Prager Show. Thank you so much, Dennis. So let me understand something. What does it mean, a new introduction? Uh, I didn't think that it was necessary to re-examine what had happened uh, for the men without work in America uh, up to 2016. I'd written a book back in 2016 about a problem that had been developing for half a century. And I think that holds up pretty well, if I do say so myself. I did have to update the book for what had occurred since 2016, including the pandemic and the uh, response to the pandemic and the strange new situation that we find ourselves in now with a labor shortage at the same time that the workforce has dropped in numbers. Good. So let's talk about that. By the way, the book is up at DennisPrager.com. For my listeners' sake, I want you to know that. So I, I, I am stymied, so you're the perfect person to ask. Then we'll talk about the ramifications 
in terms of men and in terms of the society. So I don't understand. I'll give you a perfect example. I went to a, a, a major a, a good restaurant chain here in Los Angeles yesterday for lunch and walked in and said to need a table for two. And they said, well, it'll be a 20, 25 minute wait. And I said, I'm not arguing. And I wasn't, I said, I just don't understand. There are so many empty tables. Why why can't we sit at one of those tables? He said, oh, the, the issue is not tables. We don't have enough servers. So they had empty tables and couldn't seat us because they didn't have enough waiters. Is that a perfect example? That is a perfect example, Dennis. We have an unprecedented peacetime labor shortage. We have 11 million plus unfilled jobs. Employers are begging applicants to apply. Workers have more bargaining power today under this uh, so-called great resignation than at any time in my memory. Uh, And yet there are millions and millions of people who were in the labor force before the pandemic who are still sitting on the sidelines. Okay. So 11, you gave the figure of 11 million. What exactly does that mean? 11 million what? 11 million unfilled job openings that the U.S. Bureau, uh, Department of Labor, Bureau of Labor Statistics, are tracking. And these are all over the country, in every sector of the economy. They're not all high-skill openings, needless to say. The main skill that one needs for a lot of these jobs is the skill of showing up reliably, on-time, drug-free. And yet, uh, these slots are not being filled. Okay, so obviously the $64,000 question, why not? Because the economy isn't working to solve this problem. The economy solves economic problems. This is more like a social or a pathological problem. Uh, we've uh, We've had the continuation of the retreat from the labor force of prime age men who uh, until recently were the backbone of the labor force and now in the post-pandemic era we're seeing other parts of our society uh, maybe start to get a little bit of this men without work syndrome we're seeing older men and women who are the really the only bright spot in the labor tableau for the previous generation their rates were rising coming back into the workforce. And we may be seeing a little bit of the men without work syndrome for younger women as well. That's why we have a shortfall of uh, millions of... uh, Okay, so we need to talk about that. The book is Men Without Work. It is up at DennisPrager.com. I'll be back with Nicholas Eberstadt in a moment. Dennis Prager here. Thanks for listening to the Daily Dennis Prager Podcast. To hear the entire three hours of my radio show commercial-free every single day, become a member of Pragertopia. You'll also get access to 15 years' worth of archives, as well as the daily show prep. Subscribe at pragertopia.com.